Hello everyone, we have two guests today, Adam Gardner and Max Sanka from the tech company Infogrid. Both are experts in the internal recruitment and people space, and are sharing with us their very unusual career paths and approach to candidate experience. What's it like recruiting in Australia? What's the best and toughest aspect of recruiting in Sydney? How do you approach candidate experience? I'm your host Jose, and this is the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Okay, just hit the record button. Hello, Adam. Hello, Max. How are you? Hi, Jose. Jose, hi. How are you? Yeah, very good, very good. How about you guys? How's how's work been? How's life been? It's been good. Um, I'm on annual leave this week, um, so I'm a little bit downtime, still doing some work because I can't tear myself away from it, but um, generally just uh, trying to get as relaxed as possible in the sun, which was a good week. Um, so it's been uh, it's been very nice so far. Excellent. Very well, that's leave. You just, you just <laughs> leave us with more work to do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much, guys, for taking the time to do this podcast. And I really wanted to have a discussion with you because, well, I, I, I've met a few of you in the past and uh, we've worked together. Um, Adam, we, we met recently, but, you know, there's so much to unpack in terms of your experience and um, and what you both have done in the past. So very keen to to, to discuss your experience, but most importantly, I mean, one key topic that I wanted to unpack was sort of the Australia experience in recruitment and how that differs from the UK and, and, and what's happened since, since moving back to the UK, right. In terms of working in house, focusing on candidate experience and, and moving forward. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Looking forward to it. Maybe we can start with uh, with uh, with you, Adam. Maybe can you, uh, and then we can move to Max. Can you give us an intro to to yourself, Adam, and and what it is you do? I certainly can. Uh, so I um, I'm in talent acquisition, um, but I focus predominantly on tech and products and design and things like that. Um, I recently moved back from Australia. Um, I was in Sydney for six years. Um, I headed up the talent acquisition function for a couple of startups there. Um, COVID um, put pay to my time in Australia, so I came back to the, to the UK um, in July, um, and then um, uh, and then was introduced to Max uh, via a mutual acquaintance of ours, um, and uh, started work for Infogrid November of last year, and I've been working with them ever since, um, looking after the technical recruitment again for them um my i guess my focus um is obviously the recruiting side um but one of my kind of heavy passions in terms of what we do as a for a living is uh, the candidate experience function um, and how that works and how that helps companies succeed in in hiring the right people um so that's me Excellent. How about you, Max? You followed also a somewhat of a similar trajectory, but can you give us an introduction to to yourself and you know your history and what it is you do? Yeah, so it's very similar to Adam, um, except kind of I'm one year ahead of him in my my travels. So I similarly work in talent acquisition uh, now at Infogrid. I also spent six years living in Sydney, uh, but I got back to the UK for like six eight months before adam so slightly ahead in in the travels um yeah so i've spent six years in australia recruiting the whole time same as adam kind of leading talent acquisition for 
less of a startup, but a, a tech company out there and now been back in, in England for a year and a half or so. Um, worked with you, Jose, at Eigen Technologies last year um, and now at Infogrid, um, looking after talent as a whole where Adam takes on the, the, the technical stuff and is doing a great job for us there. Um, so doing a lot more on the non-tech and making sure that things keep moving. Um, so yeah, a little bit less hands-on than Adam at the moment, but similar, similar sort of story basically through and through. It's a little bit weird. <laughs> well, you know, they say traveling really opens up your eyes to new experiences and new ways of working. I mean, would you say that overall, you know, uh, would you recommend a recruiter to do like a year or two abroad, you know, work? Um, you know, uh, abroad at a, at a recruitment company, maybe in-house as a recruiter to learn maybe new technologies, new experiences, new skills, like would you would you recommend that? Or would you say like Australia is kind of like, you know, you know, similar enough that, um, you know, you might as well just just do a year in, in London instead? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't, I'm not sure I would necessarily suggest someone goes overseas specifically for progression in recruitment i think it's a relatively universal skill set um the companies are different um technologies that i work with were rel relatively similar in sydney as they are here um i think the biggest difference that i found were i guess the personalities and the approach to recruitment by the hiring managers um, and the companies themselves that I work for. Um, but I would recommend people go and work overseas regardless of, of, of what they do for a living. Um, it was just very, very fun and, and I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I, uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd recommend it just as a, like holistically rather than just for the, just to, to progress in, in, in recruitment necessarily. I'm not sure how whether Max yeah. would um, agree with that. I, I agree. I think, yeah, the, the living overseas was an incredible experience full stop. Um, and I think the, the nuances of recruitment is, is the same. It's the same job regardless of where you are, but the, the differences, as Adam said, in culture and how people work are the interesting bits. And then I guess if we're in this world, we're becoming more and more remote first and you're hiring more people in different countries and there's more of a global distributed model, then dealing with those different cultures is good. Whether Australia is that useful for different cultures, Probably not, but if you go to a different European country or go to an Asian country or something like that, you get some more variation in that. But yeah, highly recommend working in a different country just because it's fun. Um, Jose, you can probably also agree with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's such an interesting one. Um, like I, I've never been to Australia, um, but for at least for as a, as an outsider or as someone who's never worked there, um, you know, I would say I would say, and you can, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that culturally it's somewhat similar enough that uh, you know you can go there, hit the ground running, start recruiting, start working. And still at the same time, you know, it's a different part of the world and you'll meet different people. So you'll build up somewhat of a, of a different uh, point of view and experience that, uh, that might help you in the long run. Um, and I suppose one thing that I wanted to unpack was for someone that's, you know, if we needed to give advice to people considering a move abroad and to, to work and get 
international experience. To begin with, what was the, the move like uh, to, to, I believe Adam to you was Sydney and, and Max, I want to say, was it also, yeah. I want to say Sydney, right? Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. What was, I suppose, you know, first few months recruitment, Sydney, you know, what was the experience like uh, for both of you? I think mine was fair. Like I, I didn't go with the intention. I think Adam, you went with the intention of staying there a little bit longer. I went I with the intention of being a backpacker. I went to travel and then spent too much money on my travels and landed in Sydney with not much money, needed a job and kind of getting another recruitment job was easy and they paid well. So I did that instead of traveling. And then my, my travel plans kind of ended because I went into recruitment really quickly. Um, but it's, it was super easy to fall into because everyone speaks English. It's the same language. It's the same tech. It's, it's tech recruitment in an English heritage country. Um, so yeah, really easy, but it wasn't my intention at all to go and work there. Whereas mine was, so I mean, well, I, I moved, I moved for love, Jose, as we, a lot of people do when they move overseas. Um, and so, yeah, my intention was to stay there full time. My, my first few months was extremely overwhelming. Actually, um, I, I had a job lined up before I even moved. Um, cause I, I went on holiday there like three months before I moved over and got off with the job, but Robert half. So I already had a job lined up when I moved over. I had, had someone to live, which was really handy. Um, but I, I don't think if I could do it again, I would, I would do what Max did. Like I think people should go traveling first and then settle down. Whereas I had to kind of, I landed, went straight to work. And then my like sort of, you went into a lot of real life, so to speak, straight away with the expectations and the pressure of working for a company like Robert Half. It was, it was a little bit, it was a little bit too much for me, I think. Um, and I didn't stay at Robert Half for very long, probably for a lot of those reasons. Um, I found myself quite burnt out quite quickly because I didn't allow myself to, you know, experience the joys of, living in a, in a different country um i just went bang straight in job life you know the usual responsibilities that we all like don't like and go on holiday to avoid um i kind of found myself just doing exactly the same thing from day one um which i would definitely not do again if given the chance again yeah yeah well, in my way as a backpacker i spent the first six weeks of working at randstad so randstad obviously big corporate suit and tie kind of attire i was in a hostel for the first six weeks sharing a room with another four guys um which was fun like i it was really great for having loads of money but not a sustainable way so yeah adam i think we couldn't really have much uh, much closer much further difference in our starting there yeah absolutely yeah i think definitely a good start is to ease into it right if you're moving to somewhere yeah. else ease into it maybe take a few days maybe a few weeks to get to know your environment maybe make some friends maybe get to know uh you know where the great spots are to you know have a coffee to travel relax a little bit and then once you're you're used to it and you're in a good state of mind um you know then start working right uh, or you know at least from from your story adam that's sort of what i can you know if i compare it to, to max's story that's kind of you know one of the conclusions that it that it kind of looks like yeah definitely I, th I think the restriction i had was i couldn't get a working holiday visa so i had to get sponsored by a company or nothing so you know that that kind of forced my hand a little bit um it was it was it was it was a great six first six months but 
yeah, I, th- I think if I had the choice to do it again, I would, yeah, go into like Australia is massive, right? Um, and there's a, there's so many things to see. And I didn't see anything other than Sydney for the first like 12 months of my time there. Um, would you say, you I know, is there is there like a big culture shock moment for, for both of you? Like, I mean, or would you say similar enough that, you know, it was like not moving out of the UK? Like, was there a, a moment where you were like, oh, my God, this is this is Australia, you know, like maybe, you know, as, as an outsider, you know, someone who's never been there. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, maybe coming across a few crocodiles or spiders or, you know, <laughs> something along those lines. Like, what was the, the biggest shock moment? The fact that there were no spiders. I think it was my shock. I was I was expecting them to be on every street corner. I saw like four in six years. Um, I mean, they were big. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't. You don't see that many in Sydney. It's very concrete, so you don't get a huge amount of of them, even in like the more bush areas. Like I lived in a little town called Lane Cove for about two years, and that was like bush country for still like but for by Sydney um, uh, comparisons um, and. Three of the four that I saw in my six years, I saw when I lived there. Um, but yeah, I was surprised by the lack of terrifying creatures. Um, I very much agree on that one. Like, you go over to Australia and everyone's like, What are you doing? You're going to die. Things <laughs> kill you. And you get there and you're like, Where are these things? Like, there's no dangerous things at all. Um, so, yeah, that was, I don't know if disappointing is the right word, but a little bit disappointing. I expected to see deadly things. Yeah, I saw a snake on a pavement. That was random. Um, that kind of yeah, that 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 was much more what I was expecting. Snakes on pavements, um, but it only happened once. But in terms yeah, well, of yeah, <laughs> yeah, in terms of the real life culture culture shot, there there isn't one. I think you're right. It's I you know it's they all speak the same. You know they speak English. Um, their infrastructure is extremely good. Like Sydney is a wonderful city if you're going to go and live somewhere new um, because they have everything that you would expect and you they have everything that we're all used to um and they speak the same language and you know they're as max said earlier like they're they're pretty much where we are um in terms of just everything basically so it's very you can very much plug and play when you move to sydney there's not much you need to do other than find somewhere to live um and get a job but then you do that here anyway yeah makes sense makes sense well for you guys you know working you know there in recruitment and uh, you know getting to know the people there what would be sort of the the main differences that you noticed when it comes to recruitment in sydney versus recruitment in in london would you say uh you know the biggest differences were maybe cultural or you know maybe the the size of the city and and the number of clients that you can get uh maybe the candidates like or you know what was the main difference there like the biggest differences that you noticed thanks yeah, no, I, I think the, the biggest difference is just the scale of the market. Like you think Australia is such a massive place. Yes, it's massive, but there's hardly anyone in the country. Like you've got a, what, like a 20 million population of the entire country. Sydney is 4 million people. You have such a small market to play in and everyone knows each other. Or if you don't know each other, you know of each other. Like me and Adam, we didn't know each other. We'd never met. But we played in the same circles. We knew of each other. Uh, so, yeah, like, it's very quick to get around the market. And it's just small. I don't think there's really any other difference other than the size. It's just 
very small, fairly incestuous. The same people go around the same circles all the time and pass around from company to company. But yeah, as soon as you've got a network, it's easy, but it's different compared to London where it's just massive. But so many competitors, so many people fighting for the same, same small pool of people. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it's, yeah, it's a lot easier to build a significant network in Sydney. It doesn't take very long. Um, and particularly if you, you know, if you, if you get a good reputation early, then it's, it's pretty easy to, to build that up quite swiftly. Um, in terms of, yeah, the candidate pool is a lot smaller. Um, I guess you have access to different countries there as well. So, you know, Australia, Sydney in particular, we, we could take advantage a lot more of like the Indian and Chinese markets in terms of like, well, I mean, tech candidates as we were dealing with, which you don't necessarily get the option here. Here is much more sort of European based coming into the UK, whereas over there it was more kind of your um, more Asian countries coming into Sydney. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it, it was an interesting one because you kind of look at it and think, well, there's a smaller candidate pool, but there's less company. So then by ratio perspective, it's the same, but it doesn't seem to be like the, com the com competition here for the, the, the better candidates is, is so much more aggressive and it's so much more difficult to attain them here than it necessarily was in, in, in Sydney. Um, that would, they were probably the biggest example. Those are probably the biggest differences I found. Um, it's quite difficult for me to kind of compare yet because my entire time in recruitment in the UK has been during lockdown. Um, so I'm looking forward to that ending and then I can kind of get back to doing things normally and getting a true understanding of the comparison piece. Um, but from what I've seen so far, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the number of people that you're working with the number of people that you're playing with in that in that particular technology pool that is just you're just fighting with so many more companies um than we would be over there yeah well adam you had a, a very weird introduction coming back to 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 the uk and I did, I did. starting work in lockdown and covid and working remotely so you know i can't blame you yeah it was uh it was it was um it was an intro of a very weird 12 months, um, but it's actually been pretty cool. Um, I left the UK because I hated it, to be honest, um, and I was dreading coming back. But having been back now for nine months or so, I've, I've, I've loved being back. I'm surprised by how much I've loved being back. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been interesting just purely working in lockdown. Um, like not so like I've met Max from Infogrid and a couple of other people, but that's it. Like 99% of our company have never met each other. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic to have to deal with in the people function. Well, just, just a quick comment on, on the differences. I mean, at least as an outsider, I, I would almost assume that a key difference is almost the work culture. And um, because, you know, I've, worked outside of the uk now working in london it's very fast paced there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of urgency whereas maybe uh, in australia or, or in sydney it's a it's maybe a bit more laid back and work-life balance matters a bit more or would you say it's the same pressure like how would you describe that yeah i'd, I'd agree like london is london is pretty hardcore on the the work-life balance like I remember my agency days when I was still in London and kind of a standard day would be a, like a 10, 12 hour day. Whereas in Australia, you kind of, you do your normal day. Yeah, you might do some after hour stuff, but 
quite high likely if you're on the agency side, you'll have a couple of beers at lunch, you'll have a couple of beers after work. It's pretty relaxed. Like I, I definitely work more in this country than I did in Sydney. Don't know if Adam, you did the same. I think <laughs> Adam, you had a, you had a bit of a <laughs> baptism of fire when you started there. So maybe your experience was somewhat different in the beginning, but then it got a bit better halfway into it. Or how would you describe that? Yeah, exactly that. Like so, Robert Half were. I mean, they're they're an American company, right? So they sort of just operate the same regardless of what country they're in. So my, you know, I was working eight till eight till six thirty-seven every day at Robert Half from day one, and I and I've heard this reputation that Australia was really laid back and no one worked past four because they all wanted to go to the beach and all this sort of stuff. Um, and my first six months were just like, where is that life? Um, I was just, it was constant. Um, and then, yeah, left there, went to a boutique, and that's where, yeah, that Australian lifestyle started to come in. And I think because because they're essentially one of these sort of paradise islands where it's always sunny and you pretty much everyone lives close to a beach and, you know, they've just created this wonderful kind of life where it's it's accepted that, you know, we should be taking advantage of what we have here. So everyone does. Whereas when, within London, it's slightly more, it's slightly difficult to kind of go, oh, we should be taking advantage of these beautiful surroundings because it's, you know, London is very urban and you've got the Thames. Um, and it's then created this, you know, people kind of work longer because particularly in the winter, like he wants to go out and like socialise or exercise when it's chucking it down outside or snowing or, you know, so there's this almost expectation that you work longer. Um, I think, the remote aspect of that has changed it slightly. But then at the same time, I think we all find ourselves working a lot longer hours during lockdown because you forget what time it is or there's not, we don't really have anything to do outside of, you know, okay, I'm going to stop working and I'm going to another room and watch TV instead. Um, and it's, so it kind of almost subconsciously encourages you to work longer hours and then, the work-life balance thing gets skewed, which you know we 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 deal with. I'm sure a lot of companies do at the moment, where people think their work-life balance is off. But I think it's just the very nature of the world that we live in right now, rather than the company that they work for. Um, so yeah, Robert Half was intense, and then it kind of slowly and surely got a little bit more Australian from there on, should we say? Yeah, I can definitely relate to the aspect of, you know, the weather is not too great. It's gray outside, it's raining or it's really cold. So are you going to go outside and go do some some stuff or are you just going to sit inside and then continue working right? So except, you know, if you're in Australia and you got the beach, um, you know, maybe a few minutes walking from from where you are, then, hey, let's let's maybe go for a few beers after work. Right. That's kind of yeah. kind of the culture. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, however we, you know, the, the way that we live our lives in the UK during the summer season here, they live like that all year round, pretty much. And I think you, you know, we kind of discussed this early on, but the follow-up question was, you know, what are more the commonalities, the the similarities uh, between recruitment in Sydney and London? But I think you guys outlined it in the beginning, right? I mean, same language, same process, same, same, um, you know, I suppose maybe model in terms of working at the agencies and then in-house. Um, maybe is, is internal recruitment different, you know, because um, my impression and things that I've heard from, let's say, different people, right, um, is that, let's say, recruitment um, 
and for example berlin or or elsewhere that's not london right is that you know recruitment recruiters are more talent partners right they're considered you know part of the team they're considered sort of business partners and uh, whereas you know that's the stereotype of recruitment in london that it's kind of like a, a necessary evil almost like oh recruiters again you know um do i really need to deal with one i mean would you say um in australia that uh recruiters are um i don't know i don't know if maybe more appreciated is is the word but there's not that stigma or that you know that that reputation that that recruiters have of being sleazy and and only looking for their self-interest uh, what do you think do you mean internal or agency or um, both? yeah i guess i guess maybe maybe mainly agency but i don't know if maybe internal also there's kind of a difference like how would you how would you describe that um I think the reputation of agency is the same. Uh, I don't think I think it will be the same everywhere, um, mm. for the most part. Um, I think internally, what I found um, the difference between internal was, and these are only going by the, the companies I work for. This is not a general consensus that I'm going for. Here. Um, I found that my that they were a lot less knowledgeable on the importance of the function in Australia. And it wasn't that they didn't appreciate it. It's just they maybe hadn't. I mean, and it might be because I worked for kind of earlier stage companies. I don't know. Um, but there was a lot more, like they got the, the, the hiring managers at InfoGrid, a lot more, um, I guess, experience with dealing with internal recruiters, I've found. So they know they know the importance of the function and they kind of know how it works. And um, that was that's probably the difference I found personally. Um, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think in general, a lot of the companies, like if you look at like the size of startups in Australia, they're, they're a couple of years behind the yeah. European and American market in, in kind of where they are with innovation and where they are with technology and everything. They're, they're starting to catch up, but it's the same with talent acquisition. They're a little bit behind. They're on the right path, but they're a little bit behind the UK market. Well, one thing I'm very curious about is, you know, you've had that um, that traveling experience, you've been abroad, um, and naturally that brings, you know, a few peak moments, but also some very difficult moments, right? Um, and I think I know the answer to this, you know, looking at your experience, Adam, but overall for both of you, what was, you know, the top highlights of, of working in, in Sydney um, and maybe the best moment or, you know, the best experience? You know, was it more a certain company you worked at or or maybe the colleagues you made or overall, you know, maybe the culture uh, was what was sort of the top moment, but also, you know, what was the the, the toughest moment, you know, the lowest moment that that you felt over there? Um, and I know, Adam, maybe I know which, which one you're going to answer, right? I suppose those first six months, right? But what were <laughs> what were the highlights versus the, you know, the toughest moments for you? Um. So the best time I had was my first six six to nine months at Expert 360. So that was my first like proper internal role. Um, and I was very I was lucky enough. Um, so I got the, the I got the role through a very good friend of mine um, who I worked with for a couple of years at Talent, my last agency role. So she went to Expert to do the sales and marketing recruitment 
And then she messaged me after about two weeks of being there saying, oh, we need a tech version of me. Do you, do you want to go have a go at it? And I was like, yeah, sounds great. So interview there. Um, and so I, you know, I got an opportunity to work with one of my very best friends in Sydney um, alongside her. Um, our boss, Mandy, who was the CEO, um, she was amazing. Um, I loved working for her. Um, my, my hiring managers were awesome. Like they're still very good friends of mine to this day. Um, it was a really, really tough recruitment role in the sense that the, the tech stat that we were dealing with was unheard of in Sydney. And there was like, there was about 11 of them in countrywide. So it was very strategic. It wasn't volume. It was, you know, you have to be very, very smart about the way that you approach people. Um, and as a combination of factors, it was, it was my, it was the best introduction to internal recruitment I could have ever possibly wanted. It was awesome. I loved every single second of it. Um, and then they had a hiring freeze because they ran out of money. And then my kind of job went, which was very, very sad. Um, but that was definitely my highlight in terms of work. Um, biggest challenge. Yeah. I, I would probably say that first six months, um, I felt pretty rubbish at what I did. I was surrounded by very, very high performing people, like absurdly high performing. Like everyone in the tech team at Robert Half and Sydney were doing like $150,000, a quarter, easy, like minimum. Um, and you coming into that kind of thing as a relatively inexperienced recruiter, um, it was quite daunting. It was, it was, pretty, it was pretty intimidating. Um, and then coupled with, you know, the, 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 the expectations in terms of hours and productivity and you know, workload and all those sorts of things, it was, uh, it was definitely a struggle for me. It just didn't suit me. Um, so it was, it was pretty tough. Well, I mean, I've never worked there, but I can imagine it's like they're <laughs> tracking how long you're on the phone, how many dials, yeah. um, how, how long your break is, or, you know, what time you enter the office, what time you leave the office. Was it like that to that extent or? Uh, it was, yeah. I, I don't know whether it is now, um, but it was. It was, yeah. So we we had a eight a.m. stand up um, each day, um, and you had to be there for that, like on the dot. And if you weren't, you had to buy everyone a coffee. And there was like fourteen people in this thing, um, and yeah, they did. They had cool stats sent around. They had a rookie scorecard thing that they did as well. Um, it was sent around every week, um, and that was like highlighting basically your productivity as a rookie to the and it gets sent around the entire company like the, the entire floor um so that was horrible if you weren't having a particularly good week you dreaded that um to so the yeah there was it was very sort of data driven how much time how much time you're spending on the phone how many calls you're making how many reach outs all this sort of stuff that you know in theory should lead to making more money which we all know doesn't necessarily work like that um, but yeah, it was very, yeah, you were very much under a microscope the entire time, which some people thrive in those times of environments and, and some people hate it. Um, I think for my first role in a new country, I think it was probably not the best choice for me, but you know, I will forever be grateful to Robert Half because they were the only people that would sponsor me. So, um, you know, nothing against them. It just, it just wasn't, it wasn't the right place for me. Yeah. It's more a culture, culture match, right? Like, yeah. you know. I mean, they, one company has a certain culture that you walk into and then you realize, oh, that's, that's actually not my, my cup of tea, you know, the culture that I want to be a, a part of or that matches 
what I like to do. And not that you're saying that it's a good or bad culture, just it just doesn't match what you where you see yourself in, right? Kind of. Exactly that. Yeah, precisely. There was wonderful people in there and they were all amazing and they were awesome at what they did, like truly the best recruiters I've ever agency recruiters I've ever met. Um, but yeah, it just it just was not a good environment for me to to be my best in. Makes sense. What about you, Max? You know, top, you know, top best moments versus lowest moments. Like, how, how was that experience there? I think that the hardest bits of, of kind of the whole period, and, and I'm sure Adam can relate by the sounds of this, is is the whole thing of being sponsored and being on a visa where your company basically owns your right to work in that country. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, if you if you leave the company, you need somebody else to take over that kind of ownership of the right otherwise you have to leave the country and like I, I think I had over the six years probably five different companies sponsor me and like the visa situation is just stressful when I think in total companies would have spent like upwards of £30,000 on my visas um, and just each time you go through you're like will it go through and I had two situations where visas didn't go through and then you're kind of quickly scrambling to find the next thing and uh, there was there was one time where I had to find a new job within three weeks otherwise I was basically going home um, and that was just because the company their their ability to sponsor me failed and so I needed to find a new one so yeah visas are tough um, as anyone in in talent who has had to deal with getting visas for for candidates or for new employees that's not fun being on a visa is also not particularly fun um, yeah. yeah that was tough on on the positive side again similar to adam i think my journey into internal into talent acquisition rather than agency was really easy and smooth because of that network because of the tight-knit community my first internal job was funnily enough also the company I made my first ever Australian placement with. So kind of four, four years or so previously, my first agency job, I placed someone with a company called Rockend. And then a few years later, noticed they were looking for someone to lead their talent function. And it was a fairly easy interview process because they knew I could deliver straight away. Um, I think coming to the UK, like if you're unknown, as I'm sure many people know, the transition from agency to recruitment to in-house recruitment is tough. There is a lot of bias against people who don't have that experience and there is a learning curve, even if it is just recruitment, Like we are looking for some more recruiters at Infogrid at the moment. And as much as there's going to be many agency recruiters who are going to be excellent, the nuances of going internal is something we don't really have the time and capacity to train people on. So we do require people to have at least some in-house experience to come. So I think yeah, the low point is definitely visas. Visas are horrible. I, I will hopefully never have to go through doing that for myself again. Um, but the highlight was, was that transition from agency into in-house. I don't think I could have done that without having built up the network or wouldn't have been able to do it as well as without having built up the network of of working well in Sydney for a few years. Well, that's I such a tricky uh, one. I mean, you know, being in a on a visa, 
I've been fortunate enough to to not be in that situation. Although I guess you know when you're in your sort of maybe early to to mid twenties, it's it's maybe um, a risk you're willing to take. You know, if you're at that stage of your life where it's like, okay, you know, I'm out there, I'm getting experience, I'm having a an international sort of um, you know experience in my life, and part of it is playing with visas and getting getting sponsored. Then you're more willing to take that risk. Whereas maybe, you you know, if you're in your early to, to mid thirties, it's like, yeah, maybe ooh, that's when, you know, that part of your life is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, if maybe age plays a role or, you know, when you, you know, when you were younger, like, I suppose it's maybe a risk you're more willing to take than when you're at a later stage in your life. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I echo Max's sentiments about the visa thing though. That was, yeah, that was, Problem, um, we were both really unlucky with like very similar, weirdly unlucky situations with the visa stuff as well. Myself and Max, um, we were both there for six years on sponsor visas. But you know, the the rules when we first got there or went on them was you know, you stay at one company for two years and you can get PR and then you get your passport 12 months later. It's a lot of people that I worked like joined Robert Half with at the same time, you know, they got a citizenship after three years, whereas. I left there and a series of events led me to a point where I ran my sponsor visa ran out and then they changed the rules, which meant that you can no longer, you no longer have a pathway to PR from uh, in the recruitment function. Um, and we were both kind of heavily affected by that, but I always just felt like I didn't belong there. Like I was never, I was never, I was never safe there. You know, there was always a risk that I'd have to leave at some point and it kind of subconsciously eats away at you <laughs> like it did for me anyway. And then as soon as I got back to the UK, it was like, I'm, I can legally live here for the rest of my life. And it, and it's a really, it's a really nice feeling because I just did not feel like that at all in six years, which is a long time to feel like that. Yeah. No, um, I agree with that. I think a lot of the reason we came back to the UK was that element of permanency. Like you, we were there and we were still on visas, companies owned it. We knew like this wasn't permanent. So you you don't buy yourself nice furniture because you're like, eh, who knows how long I'm going to be here. It might be a year, it might be five. I'm not going to spend loads of money on a sofa because then I won't have to ship it across to England. Whereas as soon as you know what you're doing long-term, it's, it's easier to just settle into life. Well, you both... I believe you both went into internal recruitment in, in Australia. I know Max, you did, right? But yep. um, Adam, was that also the case for you that you started internal in, in Australia or was it just here? Yes. No, no, no. It was in, yeah. So my, my first uh, internal role was Expert 360, which I started in June 2018. Makes sense. And well, one thing that I wanted to ask you guys, because I know you care so much about a you know candidate experience, right? And that's maybe one of the key things that becomes super important once you start really working as an internal recruiter is sort of what's your approach been to to candidate experience and and making sure that the candidate journey is is an interesting one is one that candidates are you know they can be very interested in and makes them say well you know what these these this company they treated me so well that i might just have to join them you know to to find out what it's really like like what's your approach there I'll say one word and then I'll let Adam talk a bit more because he's he's doing quite a bit of stuff for us. But the main thing is just communication. Just talk to them at every step of the way and tell them what's going on. But yeah, Adam's doing loads of things way beyond communication. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> what does that mean? 
<laughs> I'm not, not nothing, nothing weird. That, just, however you want to. Just yeah. being really, just that's, being that's really nice to people. Good. That's I'm bribing strong, them. Strong candidate basically. experience techniques. You you got to discuss, man. Like what's what's that? <laughs> it's, it's not. It's you know what? It's it's a really simple thing that a lot of people get wrong. That's what it is. And I, from from my experience, and having dealt with it as a candidate as well, um, since I've been back, like going through different interview processes. What you don't want is a candidate to go away from an interview feeling like they it was you were it was rushed because the interview wasn't long enough or you know you, the, it's it's amazing how many people I, I speak to who as volume recruiters you know you're under pressure to fill as many roles as you can um, or you know a huge amount of roles and then it's battered into us from the minute we get into recruitment this this ratio thing where you know in order for you to hire ten people you have to have 20 people at this stage and then so therefore you have to have 40 people at this stage which means you have to do 80 recruitment interviews it's this weird ratio thing that, that, that we're all taught um, in agency and then what happens is you essentially interview too many people at recruiter interview stage and you're rushing them through so you're giving them like 25 minutes or 30 minutes maybe where actually from a candidate experience perspective 45 would have been better um, and what tends to happen is you've got, you know, you do 20, 25 to 30 minute recruiter interviews. And then every single one of those candidates invariably feel a little bit like underwhelmed, you know, like not bought into. So my theory would be, well, why don't you do 15 instead and make it 45 minutes? Because if you're only hiring for 10 roles, so then the success rate, in my experience, goes up. So it's, I think Max is right. It's the communication piece, but it's also that giving people a little bit more time um, to really kind of be themselves in an interview and get enough information from a certain stage. Um, but I don't think I think we're guilty of not doing in our in our function sometimes. Um, and the feedback loop as well. Like it's it's amazing how many people don't give candidates feedback. Like it's staggering. How many people don't do it still? Um, and it, there's almost this fear of giving people bad feedback because every now and again you hear horror stories of you know people ringing candidates and giving them bad feedback and then having this massive argument and blowout and it's horrendous. Um, but 99% of candidates don't do that. They just really like feedback. Um, and a lot of the responsibility falls on the hiring managers to give us as recruiters good feedback. Um, so one thing I do is hold my my hiring managers accountable and to a very high standard when it comes to giving me feedback to give to candidates. Um, because if it's constructive and it's you know it makes sense and it's and it's helpful and legitimate, um, they you know not only will they receive it well, but they'll even though they didn't get a job there or even if it didn't go well, they'll they'll think highly of your company. Um, and you never know what comes out of the back of that. They might know people that would be wonderful for your company and they'll go and recommend your company to those people and you know, all these things. Um, and it is, it's that, I think it all comes down to just giving people a little bit more time than perhaps we do because we're under so much pressure to hire at a significant number. Yeah, one thing, you know, just to sidestep a little bit is that being sort of data-driven, metrics-oriented, uh, recruiter um, sort of skill, right? That 
I think it's very much an agency heritage type mentality that I yeah. that definitely in, in a lot of cases it makes definite sense to to utilize but in some cases it kind of just doesn't work you know what I mean I mean I've been in situations where I'm thinking okay you know I've made 10 you know candidate calls this week um that's led to five CVs, you know, five candidates being submitted in the process. So if I do, you know, whatever, 15 calls next week, then that's going to go to to seven or or eight CVs that I'm presenting to hiring managers. Kind of doesn't really work that way. Like, you know, like because and why it's because, you know, candidates are random. It's like it's I kind of compare it to like to I mean, I've never gambled, but I kind of imagine it like gambling because <laughs> it's like random, you know, it's like, no, there's there's no linear process. It's the candidate may or may not be interested. They might get a job tomorrow and drop out of the process. Uh, their their partner might tell them to not relocate. They might get sick. They might just forget about you like it's completely random. So putting a lot of metrics around them, expecting it to be a linear process where if I do double the work here, it's going to lead to double the work there. You know, mm, I don't know about that. I mean, what what do you think, Adam or, or Max? I mean, would you say that's that makes sense or how would you look at it? I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, I'm, all, I'm, I'm a very, you know, I like to think of myself as a, a data driven recruiter but not in that sense and i think you're right i think sometimes we look at the wrong data um you know the data that i'm interested in is you know dropout rates and dropout percentages at certain stages you know how many people dropped out here and why did they you know it's mm. that kind of thing that i'm really interested in but yeah the notion that you know us as recruiters if we if we interview 50 people and submit 30 of them to hiring managers you know what does that what does that number actually mean because you know as as the as a technical recruiter we can only go so far in regards to are these people actually technically good enough to get a job here like yeah. a lot of the time we don't know um most of the time we probably don't know if i'm honest um so yeah that whole if i do this and get this many this is this is going to be the success i, I just it, i don't think it makes that much sense um, but it is something that, as you quite rightly say, it was battered into me at agency. Like, you have to do this many numbers to get this and to get this, and the result will be this. Actually, yeah, well, you know what? Like, uh, investing more in candidate experience, like, you can stay on those 10 calls a week and dedicate more time per candidate and make it more of a qualitative experience, right? And yes. that's going to lead to not just five CVs, but six, maybe seven CVs, because that's the tipping point where candidates think, you know what, these recruiters, this company, they that was a great experience. I had a great call with them. They took their time to understand my needs. They took their time to present the role, to answer any question that I could throw at them. Um, and that's where maybe the the key lies, you know? Yeah, my, my end goal with any candidate that we love as a company is to get to a point where we make them an offer and they choose us over every other offer they have. And that's much more prevalent here than it was perhaps in Sydney, because particularly software engineers, like if we offer a software engineer a job, they've probably got like six or seven other offers. Well, that is the reality of the market we're in. So the and you know, a lot of the offers are going to be similar in terms of salary. You know, the tech companies that they're looking at may be of you know similar size and age and 
you know, success, you know, they, they won't be too much to differentiate between that sort of stuff. So when they're all kind of similar and they've got these, all these offers in front of them, you'd like to think that the one thing they'll remember is the experience and how they felt during the process. And if you can be the best process and make them feel the best about the process, then all their other offers, there's a very, very good chance they're going to say yes to you. And that's the end goal. Yeah, well, it's almost like a, an emotional choice that candidates make, right? I mean, I think a lot of times we try to uh, attribute a lot of, what's a good way of putting it, like math and, and, and calculated risk that candidates are taking. And we imagine them thinking, okay, company A is offering me 80K, company B is offering me 75K, but company A has this, uh, you know, series B funding, and then company A has 50 employees and that they're measuring things a lot of times, but no, a lot of times it's like a very emotional, um, a very emotional decision that candidates are making where they're thinking, who, who do I really like? Like, who did I like during this process? Who did I get along with? Who, um, you know, who did I click with almost, right? And that's not something you can measure. It's like you kind of click and you click really well, or, you know, maybe, maybe you don't, you know, because the recruiter forgot to give you feedback at one point or they didn't answer your calls or it took too long to answer your, your emails and so forth. So, you know, that's Absolutely. one thing to, to consider. Absolutely. Yeah. And going back to the feedback thing as well. Sorry, Max, I'll shut that's up in right. a second. <laughs> going, back, going back to the feedback thing as well, a lot of that can come in as well. The difference between, so what I'd like to do is if a candidate is successful, in a process in in one at one stage and you progress them you give you ask the hiring managers to provide a lot of feedback as to why they're a yes i feel like there's a lot of focus on getting feedback from hiring managers of why someone was a no but get the feedback as to why they're a yes as well and then when you can present that to a candidate say right it's a yes and here's why um that's a really nice touch and i think candidates will remember that and they'll associate that with the heart, with the manager they met as well. So, oh, they actually went above and beyond there. Like, they gave all this information about why it was good, and they'd given me this information before I proceed. Um, and that that looks good um, for for the people that they're going to actually be working for, not necessarily just me. Makes yeah. sense, Max. You you wanted to add something? Sorry. What I was going to say was kind of going back to Adam's thing of of the or kind of the emotional side of, of people accepting a job and a lot of their interaction of anyone's interaction with a company is is through us like i, I know adam spends a lot of time with candidates and i do as well and you talk to them over an interview process i don't know at least half a dozen times at the very least if you're kind of just talking to them when you're organizing things and having conversations there you are the the kind of the show front we are, we are the people showing off what the company is like. If you take two weeks to respond to an email, that's probably kind of what the company is like. They're probably going to be a bit unstructured and not get back to you sooner. It's a reflection of the business as itself. So it's, it's the image we give out is basically what they expect work to be or the working environment to be. If, we, if we're good and responsive, then the working environment is probably good and responsive. If you don't give any feedback, then there's probably no feedback in the, in the business either. You know what, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about previous companies I've worked at and in these companies I've been, I've taken part in 
interviews with hiring managers and just as an observer right just to, for me to learn what's going on during these interviews you know during the tech interview or maybe during the culture round and the experience of the candidate is just of getting interrogated you know like it's the you know that experience during the interviews is like okay for 50 minutes we're going to ask you questions and you got to answer them and you there's a right and wrong way to answer them and then at the last sort of five to ten minutes you get to ask us questions and you know we'll we'll give you a few answers and that's about it right <laughs> so these 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 interviews they're not in they're, they're not like convincing candidates they're they're convincing us why they're a good fit but they're not convincing the candidate why we're a good fit for them right so i'm just thinking about how these the the recruiter sort of function and providing the candidate experiences maybe a good sort of i don't know there i don't know if there's a figure to put on it but a good maybe 70 or 80 percent of candidates finding a reason to to join almost right yeah my my, my theory towards this whole thing is we need them a lot more than they need us and that's how i approach it and that's how i think we should all approach it um because it's because that's just that's just the reality like you know they you know good candidates strong candidates will have lots and lots of options and you're right i think too many companies look at it the other way around it's like we want to find out why you know you're good for us whereas actually it should be we're going to tell you why we're good for you now on on that point and maybe just to to wrap up uh, just just to maybe wrap up on things like uh, careers adam and max because um i know that um adam correct me if i'm wrong but um so i think right now you're um you know you're in a contract role was it was it before that you used to work as a permanent recruiter also like um was it at an, in australia right that you were a permanent recruiter yes this is my this is the first contract job i've ever had actually well I, I like to just sort of maybe wrap up on that like what's the experience been like you know comparing contracting versus you know a fully you know permanent role back in australia like what 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 would be the differences there and and comparisons um honestly i don't think there are any i think it, i think if you if you're at the right company and you're at a company that you like working for i don't, I don't <laughs> think there's too many differences um you know there's there's a little i mean i don't even i don't even know whether you could say there's less security really because i'm not sure there is like are you more secure in a perm role than you are in a contract role? I'm not I'm not entirely sure you are anymore. Um I can't really think of any. Like I I approach my job at InfoGrid as if I'm a permanent member of staff and I'm gonna be here forever. Um so I, I certainly don't approach it in a way that oh I'm a contractor and there's an end date. Um I think maybe because as we talked about the visa stuff with Australia, I never felt secure in Australia anyway. So maybe it's the same. Um, you know, I've never actually had a permanent job, a permanent recruitment job in the UK before. Um, so yeah, I think maybe the, the comparison is there. And so yeah, maybe there's a little bit less security, but because I was felt quite unsecure in Australia anyway, it doesn't really seem that different to me. Um, so yeah, I, I can't. I can't really say that there's there's any real differences um, for me at Infigrid at least. Well, you know what? I can I can sort of relate to that. I mean, I've had permanent roles before, and as soon as the first 
you know, financial crisis or, you know, weird, weird internal situation happens, you know, you're not permanent anymore. Right. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's at least, you know, contracting, it's like, okay, you know, a solid six to 12 months or whatever it is, you know, um, you know, that they need you for that period. Um, and, and you're good to go. Um, and I know Max, you know, we, so, so just to keep things, you know, very superficial, but I know we, you know, we work together, um, you know, back at, uh, back at Eigen through like an internal sort of talent consultancy type company. What would you say, you know, are the, uh, have you seen it, you know, does it feel different being fully permanent versus being through, you know, working through a consultancy on site, like, or, or is it quite similar? How would you describe that? I think in, in kind of the day-to-day, -day, it's pretty similar. And I think kind of probably one of the reasons why Adam feels like it doesn't make that much difference is because of the, the approach of process improvement. Like the, the whole approach of, um, and I know Adam has this because I've worked with him, of my, I want my job tomorrow to be easier. And the contract is long enough that there's enough time to say, I've got enough time to make my life easier before this ends. Like if you're on a one-week contract, you don't have time to make your, your next week easier. But if you're there for a few months, at least, you have the time to say, I need to do this, I need to process improve, and that will change things. So you're always doing that anyway. Um, I think the main difference I see with, with kind of being in-house properly or via one of these embedded talent consultancies is that in embedded talent consultancies, you have a little bit less control and you're a little bit more outcome focused. So you're, you're there for a purpose and that purpose is generally to hire people. And anything you do around that is nice, but it's not really as much your responsibility. It's not what your, your targets are. Whereas when you're properly in-house, you have more ownership. Um, the buck stops with us. We do everything we can and how we do that there's more flexibility, whether that is saying, I need to recruit this thing. What do I need to do to get that done? And if that means doing some employer branding or looking at benefits or looking at changing interview process, you just have more flexibility to do that rather than if you're through a consultancy or through a third party, it's kind of more asking permission being like, or recommending you say, this is what I suggest you do. If you do it, it's kind of up to you. Whereas in-house, you generally just have the power to be like, I think we should do this, so we're going to do this, and you can run off and do it. I think it's that ownership piece of in-house, it's your problem, it's your challenge to deal with, go and do it. In a consultancy, it's a little bit more, I'm here to help you do it, but in reality, it's your problem. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the main difference, making it my problem versus their problem I'm helping them with. Yeah, I don't know, like when you're, at least in my experience, when you're, when you're fully internal, you're like part of the family. But when you're like through an on-site talent consultancy, you're like, you're like, you know, the, the, the brother-in-law, like you're kind of part of the family, but, <laughs> but you're, you're not blood related, you know, you're, you know, you're going to leave eventually, maybe. So it's like when, mm. when when the sister has a <laughs> when the sister finds someone new and moves on then then you're out <laughs> yeah yeah makes sense makes sense um last last question last two questions adam you're uh you know you're a uh, so one thing you know that i wanted to unpack uh, you know maybe for the final two minutes is you're a you're a dbr admin you know what's what's that like 
I am, yeah. I'm the, I'm the newbie. Um, it's uh, it's great. I I wanted to do it because, like, I think all the admins in there, um, by the founders maybe of it, um, that group has helped me so much over the last sort of three years, like a huge amount, so much information, um, and I just wanted to kind of give back a little bit and help them out. Um, and help with, in any way I could with a, with a group that has, has been so beneficial to me. So, yeah, I like I, I knew a couple of them anyway, um, just through um, some some. I, I guess I'm just quite proactive in there, and then you you know people start to take notice of people that are proactive in there, and was um, kind of yeah welcomed as the admin group, and um, I think the one thing that surprised me was how many applications they get like hundreds um it's so popular uh and there's like six and a half thousand people in there now but that that's just growing constantly but like you leave applications for a couple of days and you've just got hundreds in there and they take they take a long time to go through so you know every all of us are doing this in in our free time and you know not paid for it and just trying to keep it running um and trying to help everyone where we can um making it a safe place for people um you know punishing those that try and make it an unsafe place for people um but it's yeah it's good fun they're a, they're a great they're a great team of people um and they're doing a, a really good job um and they're doing really really good things um for that for the ta space i think yeah giving back is a great and especially for i mean i use dbr quite a bit i'm always scrolling like i'm a more of a lurker just sort of <laughs> you know creeping around just there's nothing wrong stuff. with that mate most people are <laughs> Oh, Jose, you've been posting a little bit more recently. We've seen, we've seen you. This is how Adam found you. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes <laughs> sense. I've been posting slightly, slightly more. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a great place. Um, and for more information about you, Adam, and 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 you, Max, where can we go? You know, any LinkedIn pages we can connect with you with, or or maybe are you on social media, Twitter, anything like that? Just LinkedIn uh, for me. No other socials. But you can all find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter account, but it's not very interesting. I don't think I've touched it for about five years. Well, then no it worries. might be interesting. There might be some gems from, from the old Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah from I was, seven I was, years I was, ago, something like that. I was, I was forced to create one by an agency I worked with. I won't name any names um, because apparently it would have been good for our brand, but it wasn't. Um, I just <laughs> kind of sat there collecting dust for the last few years. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think in terms of social media and stuff, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Makes perfect sense. Well, for more information, I'll add the your social media LinkedIn pages to the episode description. So anyone that and, wants to and connect. A quick plug, Jose. We are recruiting for a for a tech <laughs> and a commercial recruiter as we speak. So Ooh, if you yes. want to come join me and Adam, please get in touch with either of us. Yeah, yeah. looking for a tech recruiter and a commercial recruiter. If this yeah, well, put you off. Yeah, please do get in contact. <laughs> well, you know, I can I can vouch for uh, for Max. I've worked with Max before. Great guy, great recruiter, um, you know, great person to learn from. Uh, so definitely, um, you know, someone to connect with. Um, and uh, and Adam runs DBR. So if that doesn't you know show how much <laughs> of a dedicated recruiter he is, then I don't know what does. Um, great guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is. This has been just a great um, discussion around Sydney, Australia versus versus UK recruitment and and just tons of gems around candidate experience and the journey overall. So 
Um, thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. It's been Thanks, fun. Jose. Adam and Max are experts in the talent space. Feel free to connect with them. Their LinkedIn address is in the episode description. If you like this episode, then please subscribe or follow. Thanks again and stay safe.